Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to keep going through what's known as the upper room discourse because Jesus at least starts it uh, in the upper room where he's doing Passover and we're sort of moving through there. We started it back in chapter 13 and now we're in chapter 15. And as I read, I want you to, if you can, think back over the past couple weeks. I've talked to you about how when, when guys in this age, in ancient times, they tell stories by going back again and again and again. And notice things that you hear that he talked about last week or the week before that. And notice how he, he picks up on things he said before, and then he goes on and he tells you a little bit more about them. So we're going to read John chapter 15. We'll actually stop in verse 25. We'll leave the last couple verses for chapter 16 as well. So John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is written to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. So you know how I'm always encouraging you to be reading your Bibles, to have some sort of Bible reading plan that, that takes you through the scriptures regularly. You know, not that you have to be studying it, not that you have to be memorizing it, not that you have to be going to Bible studies, although those are all great things. Let me wholeheartedly encourage you to do that. Just to be reading it, to be going through it, to, to read through the whole Bible once a year. If you read three chapters a day, you'll read the whole Bible in a year. And just to do that over and over and over again. And here is part of it. If you have done that, if you have read through the Bible several times, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, 
and my father is the gardener's, little bells ought to be going off in your head. If you've ever listened to the, um, the, the Bible Project podcast, one of the guy there talks about how the Bible is full of, he calls them hyperlinks. You know, you're reading in a web page and something will be highlighted, which means, oh, I can click on that and go find out more about it. This, this idea of I'm the vine, God's the gardener, that's like a hyperlink. It ought to click in your mind, wait a minute, I've heard that before. That's in Isaiah, that's in Jeremiah, that's in Ezekiel. That image shows up a lot in the Old Testament. Israel is the vine and God is the gardener. And so Moses and bringing the people out of Egypt, God will say, I transplanted a vine from Egypt to Canaan. God will talk in the prophets about, I planted a vineyard in Canaan and I came to find fruit, but I couldn't find any when he talks about how the people wouldn't obey him. This image of a vine and God is the gardener, that ought to click. I, I'm sure it clicked for these guys. Like they, they grew up in the scriptures. Jesus is referencing something. Now, if I'm listening to him talk about this, I'm the vine and my father's the gardener. Like, oh, Jesus is the new Israel. Sure, he's the Messiah. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit and prunes. That's exactly what happened in history. If you remember after David and Solomon are the kings, then Israel has a civil war. They split in half. There's a northern Israel and a southern Israel. The northern Israel's bad. They never follow God. And God takes them away. The Assyrians just get rid of them. They're gone. They've never come back. Southern Israel, it's a little better, not a lot. God prunes them. They get taken into exile into Babylon for 70 years, but, but then they come back. You ought, if you read this, you ought to be like, oh, yeah, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Those are all plurals. He's taught, you know, we, we need the y'all Bible to tell the difference between y'all remain in me versus you individually, because that's important in this language. These are all y'alls. He's talking to them all together. I imagine these guys sitting there going like, oh, oh, right, this is it. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the new Israel. Just like what happened in history, like th th this, is, this is it. He, he's gonna do all the things that we expect the Messiah to do. He's gonna bring Israel and, and put us back on top. And then Jesus does what he so often does to people. He goes tracking along and then he takes off. I am the vine, he says in verse five. Right, we're looping, right? Verse one, I am the vine, da, 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 da. Verse five, I am the vine. Now he's gonna tell us something else. And you are the branches. And he shifts to the singular. If you remain in me and I remain in you, if you Mark, if you Larry, if you Stephen, if you John, he starts talking to them as individuals. Now that's the point you're kind of, kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. No, Israel's the vine. The, the, the nation, we're, we're, we're all the branches, not, not me. Remember what happens to branches that don't do what they're supposed to do? Snip, choom, they're gone. Whoa, 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 whoa. And Jesus just keeps rolling with it. Like, again, he takes what he talked about before, that this bad thing that happens, if you don't bear fruit, my father just snips you away, and he expands on it. He not only tosses you away, you wither, you're picked up, you're thrown in the fire, and you burn. 
And not only do the good things happen, you bear fruit, but you bear fruit, you ask whatever you want. My father does it. He's glorified. You prove to be my, my father's disciples. He takes the, the good and the bad things he just talked about and he expands them. Only he's talking about us personally, as people, not as Israel, not, not as the Old Testament image that you're thinking of as you read this, but he's like, you, Peter, you, you, John, you, Nathaniel, you are branches. And wow, this is the point where I'm like, okay, Jesus, you just got to stop for a second. Hold on. We need to talk about this because this is serious. Like, okay, what's with the branches? What are branches that, that don't produce fruit? I mean, are those people who don't follow you, but they look like they do? Are those people who do follow you, but then they're never your disciples? And, and what's fruit anyway? Like, what does that look like? Like, you know, Jesus, we need to have a talk. Like, you have just completely redefined a classic Old Testament image to make it you and us instead of Israel and God. Okay, let's talk about that. Does Jesus pause and talk about that? No, of course not. He never pauses and talks about these things. I want so much more information. I want to stop right here, do a deep dive, be like, okay, Lord, what, what are you talking about? What are we doing here? He just keeps on going. He doesn't ever tell us what fruit is. He doesn't ever tell us who the branches are, wh- why they're getting, he just, boom. He just keeps going. He does not want to talk about the things I want to talk about. He wants to talk about remaining. What's that gonna look like? Verse nine is my father has loved me, so I've loved you, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, we've heard that before. He said that the last couple times we've looked at this, these passages. If you love me, you'll obey me. Obedience to Jesus and love of Jesus, he's told us before, are the same thing. Like, okay, yep, I, I got it. And now he's gonna add on to it. Verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He hasn't told us that before. He's talked about obedience and love. He's never talked about joy. And do you know, Dag Nabbit, he switches back into the plural. It's not your Peter, your love, your John, your love, your Nathaniel, your love. It's y'all. My love will be in y'all. And y'all's joy, my joy in you, y'all's joy will be complete. He is not promising to any individual follower that their life will be full of joy. He is saying to all of them together as his people, y'all's joy will be full. Again, he says the things he says over and over again. We need each other. We're a community. You cannot be in the faith on your own. It's not possible. I mean, just look, his command is that we love one another. You can't love each other if there's no each other, if it's just you. And there's no promise of joy if it's just you. The promises of joy, Jesus says, they're for y'all. They're us together as his followers, as his church. That's what he promises, okay? That's why looking at the camera. If you're watching this at home and you could come join us on a Sunday morning, please do. Because there's no promise for you sitting at home watching this service that you'll have joy. The promise is for us together 
as Jesus Church. Now, I get it. God has constrained some of you so that you don't have a choice. If through sickness, if through circumstance, whatever, the Lord has constrained you and you can't join us, amen, that's on him. That is his problem to fulfill his promises to you. But if you're sitting at home watching this because, you know, it's just a lot more convenient and you don't have to go anywhere and you can be in your pajamas and everything else, then don't fool yourself. You're not going to church. You know, how many of you here in the room, how many of you watch the Olympics? Yeah, we watched a lot of Olympics. I mean, there were dozens of hours of figure skating. If you watch dozens of hours of figure skating, how much better do you get as a skater? If you've never gone on the ice and you watch 100 hours of figure skating and you get out on the ice, what are you going to do? Fall on your butt. Why? Because watching skating is not skating. Watching people skate, you will learn a lot about skating, you'll learn a lot about judging skating, you'll learn a lot about all sorts of things about skating, but you will stand no firmer on those skates on the ice than you did before. And that's the same way with the community. It's the same way with church. Watching church is not going to church. You are not growing in your faith. You're not learning. Again, if the Lord has constrained you, amen, that's on him. If he hasn't, please come back and join us. If you can't come here, go, go anywhere. Go to another church. We're not the Lord's only servant. He has many of them throughout this planet. If you can't come be part of this body, then be part of another body. But so many of these promises are plural. They are not promises to Jeff alone. They are promises to all of us together. Jesus says, if you love me, if you obey me, there is a promise of joy together in the community. Now, everywhere up until now in this passage, I mean, going back to starting in 13, that he has talked about love, he has always used the word agape. You've heard me talk about this, that the, the language John's writing, and it's called Koine Greek, it has these four different words that we translate love. And the one in the Bible is usually the word agape, which means devotion. It's not love as a feeling. It doesn't mean you like someone. It doesn't mean you wanna hang out with anybody. It means you're devoted to them. You choose to do what is best for them. It's not love as a feeling, it's love as a choice. And that is what we are commanded. When Jesus says, my command is to love each other, he is not commanding us to like each other. He's not commanding us to enjoy each other's company. He's not commanding us to go to the beach together on weekends or anything like that. He's commanding us to be devoted to one another, to always choose what is best for the other, to do what is good and right for someone else, whether you like them or not. That's agape. But do you know, he switches in verse 13. Greater love, agape, has no one than this, that one lays down one's life for one's friends. That's another word for love in this language. You may have heard, it's the word philos. It means friendship, it means affection, it means you like somebody. It means you do wanna go down to the beach together on weekends. You are my friends. We have philos, love for one another. If you do what I command. I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. You know, Jesus commands us to be devoted to one another. To love each other. Agape, devotion, choice. But he says here that he likes us. That he likes us just the way we are. That he enjoys us. That he wants to hang out with us. Think about the guys that he is talking to. If you know the story 
some odd time before this, during dinner, Peter was loudly declaring, I will die for you. And Jesus knows what's gonna happen because he looks at Peter and says, Peter, you won't even admit you know me. And a few hours after he speaks this, that's exactly what happens. Soldiers come for him and they scatter. Peter sneaks in. When Jesus is on trial, he sneaks into the courtyard outside the house where Jesus is on trial. And somebody hears that his accent, you know, there, Peter's from the north, from Galilee, he's in the south. Somebody hears that he's got a northern accent. And they know that this is Jesus of Nazareth, a northern town. And they're like, oh, you're, you're with him, aren't you? You're a northerner. And Peter calls down curses on himself. He says, I've never seen that man. May God strike me dead if I'm not telling you the truth. He calls down curses on himself that he has never met Jesus in his life. Just a couple hours after this happens, Jesus knows it is gonna happen. And he looks at these guys and he says, I love you, agape. I'm devoted to you. I will always do what is for your best. And I love you, philos. You're my friends. I like you. I want to be with you. You are my friends if you do what I say. Jesus says loving him, that's obedience. But he also says when we do that, he likes us. He wants to be with us. He's appointed us, he says, to bear fruit. He chose us. Did you ever think about that? That Jesus likes you and he knows you. I mean, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows Peter. He knows all these guys. He knows what they're going to do. He's not stupid. He knows they're going to betray him. He knows what we're like. But he says, I, I, I like you. I enjoy you. You are my friends. I want to hang out with you. I'm not just devoted to you. He's definitely devoted to us. He also likes us. He also enjoys us. He says, he says I chose you. I appointed you. You are going to bear fruit. You know, that's a command. He said that. Remain in me, bear fruit. All throughout here, he's commanding us. He doesn't tell us what fruit is, but he commands that we do it. But it's not a, hey, you gotta go do this. It's, I chose you. I appointed you to bear fruit. I've pruned you so you'll be more fruitful. He says, you're clean because of my word spoken in you. You know, the words in back in verse two, cut off and prune and clean, they all have the same root word. They're, they're all the same word, remove. They're just that word plus other things added to it. To remove, to prune, to clean. It's all based on taking something away, removing something. Jesus says, I've done that for you. I've taken care of that. I devoted to you. I like you. I chose you. I appointed you. We're commanded to do this, but Jesus is doing it with us all this time. He's walking with us through all of these things. And then he tells us it's a good thing that he likes us. Yeah, because uh, not so much other times, not so much other places. He loves us. The world's not gonna, he warns us says, if you love me, if you're devoted to me, if you obey me, you're gonna have opposition. Like, you're gonna be hated. There's nothing you can do about it. Says, he says, you're not the world's friend anymore. The world used to like you. Yeah, the world doesn't like you anymore if you follow Christ. The world's not happy with you at all, Jesus says. You're going to have opposition. You've got both things are true. Jesus likes you. Oh, the world does not. And he says, 
you should expect opposition. You should expect there to be problems. They hate me, so if you're my friend, they're gonna hate you too. Guilt by association. If they don't listen to me, don't expect them to listen to you. You're going to have problems in this world. Jesus warns us, if you obey me, if you love me, which means you obey me, they're they're, they're the same thing, they're synonymous. Jesus says, that's going to be a problem. You know, I so want Jesus to tell me more about these things. And he's not going to. Like, he's gonna keep going and talk about other things, but he's never gonna come back and define these things for us. He's just laying out these two paths in life. If you are his follower, you have one of two options. You have one option where you obey him. That means you love him. That means you're his friend. That is one possibility. If that happens, if that's what you choose, if you choose to obey Jesus, because full disclosure, you don't have to. You can be a follower of Christ and not follow him. And many of us have done that. When you become a Christian, God does not put a little mind control helmet on you and drive you around. Any Star Trek fans remember Spock's brain? They put the little thing in his head and he walks around wherever they tell him to go. Doesn't work like that. God doesn't do that. You have total freedom to disobey. The all-powerful sovereign Lord of the universe allows you to choose what you want to choose. I don't understand how his sovereignty and our free will get together, but they do. You do not have to obey. If you choose to obey, if you choose to love him and do what he says, then he tells us we should expect some things. We should expect to be fruitful. He doesn't tell us what fruit is, but we should expect it. We, it's one of those things, maybe you know, you know it when you see it, I was going through the Bible, like looking for the word fruit. There's lots of stuff in scripture that gets called fruit. The fruits of the spirit are called fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? Peter has other things he talks about being fruits. Knowledge of God, wisdom, godliness. These are all fruits. People becoming Christian, it says, are fruits. There's lots of things in scripture that gets listed as fruit. He doesn't tell us which those are gonna be because I think it's gonna be different. Fruit in you is not gonna look like fruit in me. Fruit over here may not look like fruit over here. God's gonna call you to different things. He's gonna work on different stuff, but there will be fruit. There will absolutely be things you look at in your life and you say, oh, that's him. That's Jesus working in me. That's why this is different. That's why I'm different. That's why this is changing. If you choose to obey him because you love him, they're the same thing he says then you should expect to see fruit and you should expect to be pruned. Let me read you something. Cause I don't know anything about vines and horticulture and things like that. I'm an IT guy. I sit in a dark place. I, I type on keys, you know, the outdoors. That's not my thing. So I went down the internet. I started reading about vine dressing and all this stuff. This is from a, a, a Napa Valley vineyard about pruning. It's an article on why do we prune? Cause it's very labor intensive. I mean, people have to go and do this by hand. Pruning influences both the quantity and the quality of the yield by determining how many buds are allowed to remain on the vine. If the crop is large, there may be too many bunches for the vine's ability to photosynthesize. This results in an unfavorable leaf to fruit ratio and makes it difficult for the grapes to ripen. By contrast, if too few buds remain on the vine, then the plant does not have sufficient outlet for its growth capabilities. Plant growth may be vigorous with thick shoots, 
but the fruit crop will be insignificant. If you obey Jesus, you should expect to be pruned. And that's what the word clean means when he says that back at the beginning. You're already clean. Again, they're all based on that same word of taking away. If you want to follow Christ, you should fully expect God to come along to you sometime and to say, you don't need all these leaves. Yes, yes, I do. That's why I grew them. I need those leaves. Snip, 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 snip. You should expect God to come and you've got these five, six different fruits you're trying to produce. And God comes along and says, I don't want six little fruits. I want two really big ones. Snip, 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 snip. And it all falls away. And if you have obeyed Christ for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. You should fully expect Jesus to come into your life and remove things. Because what he is looking for is healthy fruit, not healthy leaves, not healthy shoots. He's got that taken care of. He's the vine. He's looking for fruit and he's looking for good, mature fruit. And that means sometimes he comes to us and he says things like, yeah, um, you don't need to be involved in that. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Like, no, snip. And off it goes. You don't need all that. That's a distraction. Snip, 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 snip. And it's gone. It's gone for good. You should fully expect to see fruit in your life if you have said, yep, I'm gonna obey you. And you should fully accept to be pruned. And brothers and sisters, pruning is painful. If you have been pruned, you know that. And if you haven't been, then either you're not obeying or you haven't been for a while because he wants there to be abundant fruit. That's what he says. You bear much fruit, fruit that lasts. For that to happen, He's got to come in and strip all sorts of stuff away. All sorts of stuff that I was really convinced was important and good and that I needed it. It's like, you don't need that. You don't need those leaves. I'll take care of it. You don't need all those other things. This is what you need right here. This is what I want you to do. And he removes the rest. He prunes. You should expect that. You should also expect friendship with Christ. You should expect, you should understand that Jesus likes you just the way you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. He likes you. He wants to be around you. Scripture says that he went to the cross for the joy set before him. That's us. The only thing that Jesus, as the eternal God, didn't have before the cross that he did have after is us. He bought us back. And he called that a joy. He didn't hang up there simply out of obedience to his father, although he certainly did that. Scripture says he thought it was joyful. Being crucified meant you were a criminal. It was shameful. Scripture says he scorned that. He scorned the shame. It says he triumphed over evil by the cross. He dragged evil through the dirt by the cross. He likes you. He wants to be with you. He enjoys your company. That's why he wants you to be with him forever in eternity. You should expect that. If you say yes to him, yep, I will obey you. I will follow you. You should fully accept, expect friendship with Christ and you should fully expect opposition. Your life is not going to sail smoothly along. The world is not going to be okay with that. 
You used to be the world's friend and now you left and you became Jesus' friend. And who likes it when a good friend dumps them and goes somewhere else? You should fully expect friendship with Christ. You should fully expect opposition in the world. That, that's just gonna happen. You should expect fruit and you should expect pruning. You should expect friendship with Christ and you should expect opposition. That's what life is gonna look like if you say yes, but you don't have to. You can also say no. And if you say no, what I see in this passage is you should expect two things. Um, one, you should probably expect your life to go okay because the, you're, you're friends with the world. Like, you know, things are falling, stuff is bad. Don't get me wrong, nobody's got a great life. But you should expect things to sail along okay. All things considered, everything should go well. And you should expect at the end of your life that none of it meant anything. Because what I think he means when he says you get the branches get cut off, they get thrown into the fire, I think he's talking about what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. That all of us, when we die, he says, our lives are gonna be tested with fire. We'll be tossed into the fire. And only the fruit survives. In Corinthians, Paul calls it gold and silver and jewels because you toss a diamond in the fire and what happens? Absolutely nothing. The diamond gets hot, that's it. Doesn't change a bit. You toss gold in the fire, it becomes purer. The fire purifies it, it burns out the junk. You toss wood in the fire, it burns up. You toss grass in the fire, it burns up. Paul says every single one of us, when we die, our lives will be put into the flames. And the only thing that's coming out the other side is the fruit, the good stuff. We've talked about this before. The good that you do in life endures. You take it with you into eternity. And Paul says to the Corinthians, some of you guys, you're going into heaven naked because everything about your lives is gonna burn you're still going. Don't get me wrong. We're not talking about salvation here. When Jesus talks about branches being tossed to the fire, I don't think he's talking about you're not in God's kingdom. He's talking to believers who have been pruned and cleaned. But he says, when you're tossed in that fire, you got nothing. You're just a dried up stick. It all burns. You go into God's kingdom, Paul says, naked. You take nothing with you. I don't know how all that works. I mean, you're in God's kingdom. That would seem to be a pretty good thing but you're in it naked. Why? I think Jesus is saying the same thing. If you don't say yes to him, if you, you are his follower, but you don't follow him. You, you've said, yes, I need you, save me, but then you don't obey him. Then at the end of your life, when everything is tested by fire, you will have nothing. It will all burn. You will still go in. You will still be with him. You will still be part of his kingdom. The image Paul uses in Corinthians 3 is you will be naked. I, I think that's the contrast Jesus is drawing here. That, that you can bear fruit that lasts, lasts into eternity. It's not just here and now. It lasts, it goes on, it endures. If you want to say yes and spend your life that way. And if you don't, you don't have to. But at the end of your life, it's all going to burn up. Because you don't have any fruit. So I'm gonna pray over us. After I pray over us, we're gonna go and take communion. So I'm gonna pray over us. I'm gonna pray over the elements. After I finish praying, I want you to get up. There's stations in these two corners and in the two back corners. There's one down here if you need gluten-free. If you don't, you can go to any of the other four. I want you to just get up, go to whichever station is closest to you or has the shortest line. 
get a piece of the bread and get the cup. These represent Jesus dying for us on the cross so we can be with him. Take the bread, take the cup, just take it back to your seat and whenever you are ready, you take it yourself. I'm not gonna lead us in it like I normally do. You ask God. I'm gonna ask God's spirit to speak to us and you ask God to speak to you. Like, are you obeying? Are you saying yes? Are you doing what he has called you to do? Do you expect the things you should expect? Do you expect fruit and pruning? Do you expect friendship with Christ and and enmity with the world? I'm gonna pray those things over us. Get the bread, get the cup, bring it back to your seat, talk to the Lord. Whatever he says to you, do it. (laughs) Whatever he tells you, do it. Everything he says is good. And then I'll close this after a while with a prayer. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Again, we say this all the time, you didn't have to do this. You knew what these guys were like and you know what we are like. And still you say you love us and you like us. Still you die for us willingly. You call it a joy that we can be with you. Thank you. We're so grateful, Lord. But what you ask from us in return is that we obey you. That we live our lives under your banner. We live by your standards We do the things that you say are important, many of which the world around us says is a stupid waste of time. You say that we should be devoted to one another. Holy Spirit, speak to us, speak to me, speak to my brothers and sisters. Are we doing that? Are we obeying? Is there fruit in our lives, fruit that will last, fruit that will go through the fire at the end of of time? and come out the other side into your kingdom. Jesus, I pray for all of us that you would give us a vision, a picture of that. What in our lives will last? What in our lives will survive the fire at the end of time? And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. If we need to change things, if there's places where we don't obey, then Holy Spirit, tell us. Tell us so that we can change. Help us. Jesus, you say here that you call us to bear fruit, but you say you've chosen us, you say you've appointed us, you've cleaned us, you've pruned us, you are there with us. Help us. We want to be your followers. We wanna do exactly what you say here. We wanna show that we are your disciples. We want you and your father to receive great glory from that. Holy Spirit, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, as we sing again afterwards, speak to us. Show us what in our lives will survive the fire. What fruit do we have that will endure? And if we need to change, what changes do we need to make? We pray this in your name, Jesus, because we pray everything in your name. We are your servants. You are our God. Amen.